Well, do me a favor and track down a Bible if you can and get with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verses 15 to 23. While you're getting there, let me just say, I, uh, I got mixed up. And so I'm preaching on John 21. That's actually the assigned text at all of our campuses for next weekend. Um, but it's been one of those seasons and one of those weeks in particular where, uh, you know, I guess I was just confused and I spaced on it. But that's where we're going to be this morning, John chapter 21, verses 15 to 23. So I will read it, we'll pray, and then we'll get to work. John 21, starting in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Let's pray. Lord, right now, as we've opened your word together, we're asking that you, by your spirit, would speak to us. Lord, may the meditation of my heart, the words of my mouth, be pleasing to you. Lord, I pray that your flock would be well-fed today. So please leverage this moment to help each of us know you better and serve you more faithfully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What are the biggest mistakes you've ever made in life? What are your failures? What are your inconsistencies? This week, as I was thinking about it, I was reminded really of a whole chapter of my life and... Um, I was called to ministry when I was 18. I started an action sports ministry when I was 21, and I traveled around and gathered a team together. But uh, to be a 20-year-old a leading a ministry created all kinds of problems. I was immature. I was spiritually immature. I was relationally immature. Uh, I made a lot of choices that... Um, that hurt people. I, I didn't know how to interact with other organizations that were similar to ours, and so uh, I overstepped some bounds. I uh, burned some bridges. I, I did a lot of things, and I can think of that whole season of how 
um, careless I was. And, and I can think about those failures and they can cause me great grief. I can think of other chapters of my life as well where I've made grievous mistakes. And I'm sure that all of us can kind of think through. There are situations in life and experiences that we've been through that if we could go back and do it again, we would do it much different. And here we have this instance where Jesus is doing something profound with one of his followers. He's revisiting an incredible failure of his. He's revisiting it in a, in a very specific way, but he's helping him to navigate through it. That's what the Lord is going to do today. Uh, Timothy Keller pointed this out. He said, what happens here is kind of like an informal counseling session. The Lord here does some soul care with Peter. He walks him through an experience of questions and revisitation of a previous experience, and he's trying to help to redefine that event for him. So it will no longer be a, a reality for him that just shadows and clouds his identity. As my uh, Bible says, it's the, the reinstatement of Peter. And that's what's happening here. So in this informal counseling session, which by the way happens around a meal in a private walk along the lakeside, which is a great place for counseling to happen, he doesn't take him to a couch and sit him down and go, okay, we're going to unpack everything here. No, he just shares a meal with him and then begins to apply the truth of the gospel to his life. And I think that's a worthy model for us to imitate. But here's what he does. He deals with the past. Jesus revisits that past. And then he speaks to the present moment and what he wants to do in and through Peter now. And then he reminds him of the future. He shows him the future. So let's get to work. First, he revisits history. Look at verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It's interesting. He calls him by his full name. It's like Mr. Corey Williams. And he, he had this relationship with him, right? They had been doing life and ministry for multiple years now. In fact, he had a nickname for him. He gave him a new name. You're, you're no longer going to be called Simon. You're Peter. You're the rock. You've made this incredible confession on which I will build my church. He gives them this new name. He, they have this familiarity, but here in this moment, he addresses them very formally. And the reason why is the whole relationship has to be reestablished. The catastrophe of failure is so large in Peter's heart and in his identity in this moment, the whole relationship has to be reimagined. So he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He, and he's pointing to, I would imagine, these other disciples. I'll show you this in just a moment. He's saying, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, in order for us to understand the significance of this dialogue and this back and forth and why there's multiple questioning with similar words being used, sheep and lambs, love in different ways and all these different things. In order for us to understand it, we really have to go back to the original event. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared a supper with his followers. They'll talk about it later in our text, but he shares a meal with them. And at that meal, he says, one of you will betray me. That's where John is reclining against Jesus. And he says, who is it that's going to betray you? But then he goes on to say, here's what's going to happen. All of you will leave me. 
All of you will leave me because the shepherd will be struck and the flock will scatter. And Peter in that moment, and this is coming from Mark chapter 14, I'll show it to you on the screens. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. So now Jesus is revisiting that event because sure enough, he did disown him and he's revisiting it and he's saying, do you love me more than these? Do you remember on that night those bold claims that you made, that overconfidence that you had in your heart and in yourself? that you were going to be the faithful one, even if everyone else, all, I love you more than all of these guys. I will, even if they all screw up, I won't. And now he's saying, do you love me more than these? The ones you threw under the bus on that night? The ones that you claimed you were better than, or you implied you were better than? Do you love me more than these? Well, sure enough, Jesus was arrested, and the, the flock scattered, all the followers scattered, and Jesus uh, was taken into custody, and Peter remained near enough that he could watch the events unfold. And he found himself watching as the arrest happened and the trial unfolds, and he was warming himself by a fire, and this is all in Mark chapter 14, and people began to recognize Peter, and they began to make that connection. Aren't you one of his followers? And Peter said, no way. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but he said, I, no, 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 no. I'm not with him. And then another person, no, I think you, uh, you've got to be with him. Aren't you one of his followers? He says, no, 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 no. I'm not with him. I'm not with him. And then a third time they say, well, this is weird. You have that Galilean accent. The only Galileans who are around right now are followers of his. You must be with him. And he began to call down curses. This is um, Mark 14, 71. We'll put it up on the screen. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man that you're talking about. He began to call down curses. That's an interesting thing. Who was he calling down curses on? Was he calling it down on the people who were interrogating him? That'd be odd, right? Like he'd be escalating the, the conflict no, curse you, I'm not with him. Was he calling it down on himself? Maybe. But as one New Testament scholar says, he was probably calling down curses on the Lord. He was trying to so distance himself from him, and he was doing it in such a profound way that he's saying, I have nothing to do with this man. And then, verse 72, immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. This failure was catastrophic, and it wrecked him. In fact, when we find them here in John chapter 21, he's gone back to his former way of life. He's gone back to fishing, and you, you can imagine just the, the, the depth of the pain when he revisits this thing, and, and when he thinks through who he is and how he, he surprised even himself with his inconsistency. I thought that I was something more than I really am. He failed. 
But here Jesus very profoundly goes back through that event together with him, asking him the questions. Not incidentally, he asks him three times, do you love me? And then three times he tells him what that, will, what that means for him in this new way of life. But what he's doing then is he's applying the gospel to failure. He's changing this uh, psychology of how we think about our mistakes, how we think about our failures, how we think about our wobbly faith and our inconsistency. And one of the things that you have to recognize is it's not minimizing sin. The gospel does not say, look, we all screw up. Everyone is prone to error. Everyone makes mistakes. It's not that big of a deal. Water under a bridge, bro. We're cool. No, he, he takes him back to it to show sin is not something to be winked at. It's not something to be easily dismissed. He brings him into the fullness of that experience. He's showing him, again, this is what you claimed. This is what you did. This is what it did to me. And he walks him into that to help him to feel the fullness of his failure. And we need that too. We can't just take sin lightly as if it's no big deal. We, Jesus wants to counsel us to be able to say, I see all of this and I'm fully aware of all of it. And I know this and I know what's true about you. And even still, I want you. I love you. I care for you. The, the gospel strategy is to take the reality of sin and to say, in full awareness of it, you are still loved. It's a beautiful thing, and so it's a radical reorientation. Peter is getting a new identity. That experience will forever mark his life. But now it has been redeemed because the Lord is walking him through it to revisit that past and then to recast it in a redeeming light. Do you love me, Peter? So the second thing that he does here is he addresses his new life, the present. And what we find then is that Jesus doesn't just accept us as is, he calls us into ministry. He doesn't just say, I'm going to forgive you, but I really don't want much to do with you. No, he says, knowing who you are, I want you on my team. Feed my sheep. He's calling him into this service. He's calling him into this representation of Jesus himself. He's calling him into ministry. So three different times in those three verses, he says, feed my sheep. Verse 15, feed my lambs. Verse 16, take care of my lambs. Verse 17, feed my sheep. He's, call, he's using this metaphor, the shepherding metaphor, and he's saying, what I want you to do is I want you to be involved in this shepherding of my people. Now, shepherding is actually a kingly metaphor in the Bible. It's something that's used to describe people who are in places of power. They shepherd people like a shepherd would uh, lead his flock of sheep. It's used to describe God himself. God is a shepherd. Jesus took on himself the, the, the mantle of the good shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep. And so here, Jesus is saying to Peter, I want you to be engaged in sacrificial ministry for others. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. You're not just forgiven, you're enlisted. You're, you're not just, your sin is, is not just 
pushed aside, God is saying, Jesus is saying, I'm fully aware of who you are and your ability to even surprise yourself. And even still, I want you. And I have a beautiful assignment for you. You get to be a part of my ministry. Feed my people. Take care of my people. Look after my people. So we have this opportunity then as God is inviting us today. He's saying, look, I want you to be on my team. What an awesome invitation. He's saying, I want you. I want you with me. I want you representing me. I know that you've messed up. You've messed up horribly, but I love you and I am redeeming you. So be a part of this incredible work of caring for my people. So he makes a connection then that if we're to love him, it's going to show up in how we love his church. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then take care of my lambs. If you love Jesus, then it calls you to love his people. Now, this is not an easy thing. Sheep are not easy things to love, right? They're obstinate. They're stubborn. They're stinky. There's a book on church leadership that's called They Smell Like Sheep. (laughs) And it's a beautiful, you know, titling of a book because it helps us realize, yeah, this is the, the real stuff of pastoral ministry. People are hard. They're difficult, they're messy, they are inconsistent. And and Jesus is saying, look, if you love me, it's going to show up in how you deal with my people. Now, it's unfortunate to say this, but it needs to be said. Some of us aren't loving Jesus right now, and the reason why I know it is because we don't love his church. Some of us are being very prophetic these days, and we're looking at the church and we're saying, look at this mess. Look at these people who are compromised. Look at these people who are, um, they aren't living in the way that God wants them to. Look at, look at these people. And, and instead of loving the sheep, we're condemning of them. And Jesus is reminding us here, we need to love and care for his people. In fact, he's giving us a real-time example of that in this story. What does it look like to love sheep? Well, it looks like dealing with people who fail us. It looks like dealing with people who are inconsistent. It looks like dealing with people who have hurt us incredibly badly. I don't know if you've ever been wounded by words. Jesus knows what that feels like. We have this ridiculous saying that we used to do when we were children, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That's absolutely false. You understand that words and relationships can do great harm to people. And Jesus is showing us here what it looks like to be involved in ministry. It looks like dealing with inconsistent people that have hurt you. But it's a good work. It's a glorious work, and he's calling us all into it. If you love me, invest yourself in my bride and follow me. Look at verse 19. Then he said to him, follow me. He's calling us in the present to be in this way of discipleship. And the way of discipleship is the way of the cross. In fact, he gives this little uh, explanation of of the future. He says, look, in the future, you're going to be stretched out. And he did this to explain the kind of death by which Peter would ultimately die. He says, you're going to be crucified, so follow me. And he's telling him, if you want to follow me, you're going to follow in this way of the crucifix. 
It calls to mind another teaching that Jesus gave in Mark chapter 8, and I'm sure Peter was thinking about this as, as Jesus was explaining this reality, but in Mark chapter 8, he, he puts it like this. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to, lose, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. He's saying the way of discipleship is where you're taking up your cross and you're following him because that quite literally is what Jesus did for us. So you deny yourself, your agenda, your plan, and you take up his agenda and his plan for your life, and it looks and feels like a crucifix. And it's a good thing because by denying yourself and taking up that way of life, you're actually experiencing salvation. So he's calling us to follow him, and that means it's going to be rugged, but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be the way of the crucifix, but it will be beautiful. So he's saying, look, in the present, what you need to do is follow my way of life. Look at what I did. Look at how I sacrificed of myself for the sake of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I laid down my life for them. Be like me. Follow me love and serve and care for my people. Now, this deal is extravagant, and it ought to feel pretty good to you. And even though we're talking about taking up a cross, I hope you feel like it would be absolutely worth it. If Jesus sees me at my worst and loves me and enlists me, and he's asking me to follow him, then no matter what that looks like, it would be worth it. David Livingstone, a missionary to Africa hundreds of years ago, he made all kinds of sacrifices. You can imagine the pain and the trauma of leaving what was comfortable and the relationships that he was familiar with and all the inconveniences of doing missions hundreds of years ago without all the amenities that we have now. But he was doing this ministry and somebody asked him, what was that like for you? That must have been incredibly hard. And he replied in this way, I never made a sacrifice. Now, it almost sounds ludicrous for him to say that, but what he's suggesting is, look, because of what the Lord did for me, no amount of inconvenience for his sake, no amount of inconvenience is a trouble for me. It wasn't hard. It wasn't difficult. He loved me at my worst, so I'm going to serve him with my best. I'm going to do everything that I can. I'll sacrifice anything for his sake. So Jesus is calling us to follow him. And he's calling us to recognize our unique calling. He's telling us to embrace the way that God wired us and gifted us and has assigned us. And, and one of the problems that we have with doing life and ministry in the present is we have this temptation to compare ourselves to others and then to be dissatisfied with our, with our assignment. Watch it unfold here in the story. Peter turned, verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. So they're walking along the lake. He looks around. There's John. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? You're calling me to this way of the cross. You're calling me to this way of sacrificial death for the sake of other people. But look at him. His life looks pretty easy. You've not said he has to die. What's, what's the deal here? Why do I have to sacrifice? But look at him. I want his calling. 
I want his ministry. And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Here's what Jesus is saying. Stay in your lane. He's saying, look, I've got a calling for you, and it's specific because it's tailor-made exactly for you. And you can look at other people and think, I wish I had that. I wish my life looked like that. I wish I had that assignment. If I were, like, if I were living in that world, in that experience, with that ministry, then I could be really, really happy and satisfied. And Jesus is saying, I made you, I know you, I called you, I've assigned you. You follow me. So we have to become comfortable with the ministry that God has given to us. And so what we need to do is take inventory of where we presently are. Don't despise the providence of God. The place where you work, it's not incidental. The family that you have, it's not incidental. The relationships that you're building, they're not coincidental. God has given you this place in life and he expects for you to use it for the ministry that he has specifically for you. So stop looking at other people and thinking, I wish, I wish I could be like them. I wish I were in their shoes. I wish I had their ministry. Get comfortable with what God has for you. And here's a way that you can tell if you're, you're growing in spiritual maturity. And I'm very spiritually immature. But one of the ways that you can tell is when you're able to look at other people's ministry and recognize the difference between your own. And instead of critiquing it, you celebrate it. Right? When somebody else has a different assignment, a different calling, a different gift mix, and you look at that, instead of going, I'm doing it all right over here. Look at me. I'm like Jesus. I'm sacrificing for him. And they're these wimpy Christians not doing it the right way. Spiritual maturity says, this is what God has called me to do. I'm following him. I'm, I'm in my assignment, but I'm celebrating what God is doing in other places with other people. What is it to you? You follow me, Jesus says. So he's telling us that we need to be comfortable with the ministry that he's given to us. In the present, we're called into ministry. We're called to following him, and we're called to being comfortable with that assignment. So finally, third, the future. He briefly points ahead, and he says, this is what will happen. And he tells us two different things. One is he tells them that he's going to die on a cross, and it will glorify God. Verses 18 and 19, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you're old, you'll, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. We have to be willing to follow Jesus even if it means suffering for him, even if it means dying for him. Now, you might go, okay, Cor, I think you're just embellishing a little bit. I mean, are you serious that you want us to consider suffering for Christianity and even entertain the idea of being willing to die because of it? I mean, come on, we live in America. Like, this stuff doesn't normally happen. But in the rest of the world, this stuff happens quite often. Martyrdom, persecution, hardship on account of faith is a normal reality for most Christians. We need to be the kind of believers in America who are willing to say, I will follow him even if it's incredibly hard, even if I suffer. We've been seeking to develop a theology of suffering within our campus over these years. 
I really do hope that you, you believe that it would be worth it to suffer for Jesus Christ. We need to be those kinds of people. But, but at the very least, here's what it's saying, that all of us have this opportunity as we look to the future to say, if I am faithful to God with my assignment, even in death, it will glorify God. If I'm being faithful to what Jesus has assigned to me, then my future involves glorifying him to the very end. So he points to the future and he says, this is what you have in store, Peter. And then he says as well that he's going to return. Now this just shows up, so it's not a major point here, but it's something worth considering. Jesus here is reminding us that he is coming back. Verse 22, he answered, if I want John to stay alive until I come back, that's not your business. You follow me. But he's saying here, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. You look to the future. You can be more faithful in the present if you're looking to the future. Martin Luther used to say, I've got, I've got just two days on my calendar. Today and that day. And if we're aware of that day that Jesus is going to return, then it will help us to be faithful today. So Jesus points ahead to the future and he says, look, you will suffer on account of your faith in me, but I am returning one day. So we need to be ready for that. So here's the good news of the gospel now as we've seen it in this informal counseling session. Jesus sees the depth and the reality of who we are. He knows us better than we know ourselves. We can be overconfident in our faith. We can be overconfident in our faithfulness. We can think, I'm going to do all these great things for God, but Jesus knows the truth about who we are, that we're inconsistent, that our faith is wobbly, that we sin grievously against him, that we would, if it were in our best interest, we would deny him. He sees all of that. He sees the depth and the reality of who you are, and he still loves you. Not only does he love you, he atones for that sin. And he calls you into a permanent relationship with himself. He loves us anyways, and he invites us into his ministry. You can be a part of his work in the world, loving and serving his church, the flock of God. And he promises us a reward for our faithfulness. He's going to return one day. And with him, he will bring his reward for faithfulness. So let's be Christians who are following him every day, forever. Let's pray. Lord, we're asking right now that by your spirit, you would continue to work in our hearts as we reflect on the beauty of the gospel. We're grateful, God, for your love for us um, most of us don't really have the courage to do the, the deep self-reflection and to even bring out those past failures and to deal with them. But you, Lord, love us enough to do that. And by your gospel, you're able to forgive us and recast our identity in light of that forgiveness and that new purpose. And so, Lord, I pray for my friends that are in here. I, I Pray for your church, Lord. Let them experience the grace of the gospel in a transforming way today. That there would be a renewed confidence in your love for them. That they would be inspired to give of their lives in ministry and service of others. And Lord, let us constantly reflect on the beauty of your return and what that will mean.
And as we do that, Lord, may you find us faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.